0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, independent conservatives to the one and only independent conservative talk show. Daniel Horowitz here at CR Podcast on the Blaze Network. Boy, we are holding by October here. Last quarter of the year. We look forward to another month. Where we ask ourselves, will this be the month where we finally get our freedom back? Where we finally restore sanity to the nation, to the globe? Where we finally eradicate the psychosis of fear, panic, and really something a lot more insidious in the background driving this lockdown mentality, flat earth science. Who is behind it? I'm going to talk a little bit about that today today with our guest Jordan Shacktel later. But I want to start off with a really a lot, there's a lot of news going on. I should put out almost a daily bulletin just on the virus itself, the new research, the new observations we have, the new anecdotes and news stories we have from our phony leaders that demonstrate that they are either dumb as mud or they're insidious malcontents. Try not to use bad language here. But after a conversation I had with someone in the West Wing, I will just tell you, there are a lot of bad dudes in this administration. And, you know, four years into this, it's about time Trump cleaned house. But I'll leave it at that. Maybe maybe we'll talk about that as, as things develop in, in the future. But I just wanted to demonstrate here to you The degree to which we are now killing people with our compassion of saving lives. Oh, they are so obsessed. They're so pro-life. You know, the same people that stick a fork in a baby's head. Very concerned about life. It's an article out of the UK Times. COVID rules on pregnancy have gone too far. I'm not going to read the whole article here, but... Um, They talk about husbands being locked out of the delivery rooms. Wives having to give birth alone. Experiencing post-traumatic stress syndrome from just the craziness that they make them go through. Husbands watching the birth of a baby on Zoom in some cases. And they note a very scary statistic You know, we talk about excess deaths, life expectancy, the median age of a COVID death. What if I told you there were people dying at zero as a result of the draconian measures that we have in place? An entire life in front of them. According to the UK Daily Times, St. George's, it's a teaching hospital in South London. Stillbirths rose from 2.38 per 1,000 pre-pandemic to 9.31 per 1,000 between February 1st and June 14th. It's more than twice the national average that it was in England in 2018. There are more than 700,000 births a year, but we are wrecking childbirth for a generation of women because of stringent COVID rules and heightened fears. Their NCT classes have often been held online, where it's hard to bond with other expectant mothers. And once their child is born, grandparents have been kept away until recently. It's funny they say recently in England. Here, they're still doing with a lot of stupid people. Senior clinician told me he was increasingly worried <clears throat> that some women left on their own after harrowing births are developing PTSD. We are only. Beginning, beginning to learn now, the extent of the damage being done by us erring on the side of caution, lying about the scope and magnitude of the virus, lying about our ability to deal with it, and in the process, what we are doing to supposedly deal with it, we are traumatizing the living. We are traumatizing the living. And folks, this, this notion... Of the virus is gonna virus is so true and exemplified through the case study of Wisconsin. There's a lot of talk about that because Wisconsin is supposedly a hot spot now and Trump is holding a rally there. So wherever Trump holds a rally, the media goes crazy. Now, what is so shocking about their stupidity, it's hard to tell again whether they're just dense or they're doing it on purpose. Wisconsin demonstrates our point. If I had to sum up the global observations, country by country, state by state, it's this. When the virus is destined to spread, and that depends on seasons, latitude, population density, how far they were to the initial spread when it started, there is nothing you can do to stop the outbreak. When it's not destined to spread, there's nothing you can do to induce it. So what you find in Wisconsin is a very interesting state. Wisconsin until now had nothing. See, they're panicking as if like something's a hot spot. You would think, oh my gosh, and they're man, they're still getting it. You know, six months into it, the, they're getting slammed. This is their first time getting it. They haven't gotten it yet. It's good news. Everyone's going to get it. Maybe if you're more of a spread out state, it won't be as much, but you will get it at some point. That This is the beauty of what we have seen now. In March, April, we're like, hey, you know, some places seem to have a good result. Maybe they have a secret sauce. Maybe there's some sort of non-pharmaceutical intervention that you could do and mitigate it. And now we've learned, as was obvious, I mean, we knew it. Um, and our guests that we're going to have on certainly called this really early on that it does what it does when it does it. You can't run, you can't hide, you can't play peekaboo with a respiratory virus. So what happened in Wisconsin was, it was interesting that basically there were kind of more remote, spread out areas that never really got it. West Virginia, Wyoming, Montana, the Great Plains, upper Midwest. But the thing about Wisconsin is, it was, to my knowledge, I think it was the largest state that really didn't get anything. I'm talking about less than the flu season. And. It's not a large state. But it is large compared to the Dakotas. And Wyoming. Alaska definitely is large. Compared to them. Milwaukee is a metro area. Didn't really get much. So it was bizarre. And. In Wisconsin, they didn't have any of the rules because that was the one state that the Supreme Court Supreme Court voided out pretty much all of the rules. So they didn't have any of this stuff in place. Moreover, during the primaries, they were the only state to hold in-person elections. CDC was forced to do an entire paper on it and to show that there was zero spread. It went on like this for months. And now finally it's spreading. Because now is when it was meant to spread. And again, it's not bad. Now, because they never even had a first round, they are getting some of the more vulnerable, serious population. So hospitalizations and deaths will go up. But it's not going up from a high baseline. It's going up from zero. We had six, seven months of panic now. Going on seven months of panic. And they barely got anything. But this is where we're at. This is what we find. Whatever you do doesn't matter. This is what Sweden has proven. And, but, but really, Wisconsin proved this too. It doesn't matter. You know, an, inter- an interesting point. I was going to write about this. Norway is beginning to adopt Sweden's policies and move away from this completely. See, a lot of people have pointed out, well, Daniel, you're right, Sweden did better than America and other European countries, but but maybe there's something different about the Nordic people or the place, and you compare it to other Nordic countries, they did worse. But the thing that they all miss is that all of the Nordic countries are not wearing masks at all. They have the same mask-wearing level, which is near zero, as Sweden does. So it's not that. In terms of the lockdowns, They had it mandated a little bit more, but not that much more. If you ever listen to a clip of the health director of Norway, she was like, You know, there's not that much of a difference between what we did. Norway, they weren't fascist about it like some other European countries. They just weren't. So, if anything, Norway is a proof to us because they didn't have the mask mandate, they didn't have much of a lockdown. And they have a great result. Again, unlike Sweden, they probably have less herd immunity. So it's more susceptible. It, it could come. It seems to be coming everywhere. Definitely susceptible to getting it. There is a little bit of an increase there. The only black and white difference between the two neighboring countries, Finland and Norway, was that they shut the schools. Sweden didn't shut the schools. That was the only like clear difference. But you can't tell me that contributes to the higher deaths in Sweden because not a single child has died in Sweden. Not one. So that's not it. And as we noted, when you look at the factors, they're pretty much equal. When you look at the liberal coding there and the excess deaths, there's barely any excess deaths. There really aren't any excess deaths. They all died at, you know in their 80s, which often means they really didn't die of it. Or if they did, that was the time, that was God's way of, you know, bringing them to the next world at the time he planned on doing it. And I'm not trying to get spiritual on you. I'm, I'm saying you, you could plot this on a graph. If, if if the difference between seniors dying at the time they're supposed to die versus like, you know, a guy who's really going to live till 85 dying at 75 is you're going to see that in the excess deaths. You, you can't miss that. There's several other factors too. Stockholm is a greater urban area than the other Nordic countries, Copenhagen and Oslo and uh, Helsinki, as well as just the fact that they have many, many more immigrants per capita than other ones. And the immigrants who are often black or African, um, you know, there's it's not clear the medical reason. I mean, there are some theories, but they're a lot more vulnerable in, in according to CDC in the U.S., uh, blacks have a four and a half times greater hospitalization rate than whites. So again, whatever is driving that, you you have to compare the same demographics. So the white population of Sweden compared to the white population of Norway, there really isn't that much of a difference. And then Israel is the greatest example. Oh, everyone was extolling their virtues. They did a severe lockdown, destroyed their country, then had like Nazi-like mask wearing it's, it spread like wildfire. Didn't help. Nothing helped. It didn't spread before because it wasn't their time to get it. <laughs> so that's why everyone's like, oh, they did a great lockdown. Let's do another lockdown. So this is where we are with that. There's a lot of more information I can go over. T- another blockbuster T-cell immunity study came out that showed in a certain group of uninfected people, meaning they took not people that they knew had SARS-1. They did that too. They had a control group with people at SARS-1, obviously saw cross-reactivity, 100% cross-reactivity to SARS-2 with the C- T-cells. Um, but they took random people that didn't have COVID and didn't have SARS-1. 81%. 81% had T-cell reactivity because they likely had coronavirus colds. Now again, and not not in every place is it going to be 81%, but I haven't had time to delve through it, but this study my understanding is it takes it to the next level where they really go to a very specific level of how you start determining the degree of T-cell immunity in a community, cuz this is the big question everyone wants to know. Could there be a time where we could invest in you know seeing in a community How many people have T cell immunity right now? Obviously, these are very painstaking, specialized labs to do this. Um, But, you know, the the antibodies are just a very small portion of. The immunity and Fauci was out there last week in a Senate hearing telling Rand Paul he's wrong. There's no T cell immunity. And and that's the thing. These guys are just dumb. Like, I hear from my sources with Fauci and Redfield, they literally assert stuff that, like, nobody is saying on any side. It's like Redfield getting up there and saying, just wear a mask for four weeks and this will all be over. Masks are better than vaccines. I mean, just stuff that a first grader knows is wrong. This is who we have running public health and the media. Just dumb, dumb human beings. So there's tons of news that we could dissect. Another great story out. Switzerland did a an analysis of the different cantons of the state that, kind of like we have different states and cities, areas that had masks and areas that didn't have masks. And they found no correlation with better outcomes. And in fact, what they found was that if they were not worn properly, They seem to be prone to spreading other infections, which we all knew. And our own institutions warned about that before they decided to become political. Then you have the uh, the biostatistical study out of Harvard. They also had some help from Spanish researchers, but it was done by Harvard. They found, out of a sample of 5,577 patients, a 24% reduction in disease and death from early use of HCQ. Harvard, okay, they're saying, oh, this is flat earth, this, 24% reduction. No serious adverse events took place. Imagine if our government spent the time, like some of these other countries, like Turkey and Greece, pushing preemptive use of HCQ, especially with a vulnerable population. Empower people to confront the virus, because you're going to have to confront it, okay? Rather than spending all the time on this pink unicorn, used car salesman, retarded lie that you could run and play peekaboo with the virus, and then you can't. So you get it, so a certain number of people will get it bad. Most won't. Certain ones will. And they're left without any recourse. And in fact, these murderers in their quest to make this worse than it is are banning, at a state level in many states, the use of HCQ. The federal level, they took away the recommendation, FDA recommendation. And again, just like with the mask wearing, you look at the literature that was out on HCQ before it became political. And the NIH's own in-house study in 2006, when Fauci was director of that institution, found it worked with SARS-1. And just like we're seeing with the T-cell on the immunity side, there's so much cross-pollination in the way they act. It's not novel. The coronaviruses are a family. They've been around forever. And... um You know, it's believed that H. H OC 43 might have been the Russian flu of 1889. So they've been around for a while. And they act similar, and we know this. So masks do not work. They spread more stuff. They're harming people. Heart patients. Panic. Mental health. Women giving birth. Making them wear masks while they're pushing. Then shoving a stupid test down their throat when they're usually women in their 20s and 30s that even if they had it, it's not a big deal. And then they get a stupid false positive or negligible positive and take away their baby from them. These people are damn Nazis. I, I'm good. I care about live life, figure. No, schmuck. You are a murderous piece of garbage. I'm sick of this. One after another, we're finding this. You know, someone reported last night out of Australia. I saw this uh, on Twitter. Ambulance Victoria, this is in the Victoria province where they have, um, they've declared like North Korea there. They have a sharp rise in heart attacks and cardiac arrest deaths per day. Doubled. According to the ambulance service. Because we're so compassionate. We're so compassionate. We're, we're, we're good people. We're very good people. But what is this really about, folks? What this is really about is controlling our lives, implementing the agenda they always wanted to implement, and paying off China, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But CNN spilled the beans yesterday yesterday. Headline: If you haven't seen it, Google the article. CNN from yesterday. "Quote: There is no getting back to new normal. To, to normal, experts say, the sooner we accept that, the better." Oh, it's 15 days to stop the spread so hospitals aren't overrun. Oh, well, maybe a little bit of a stronger benchmark. Oh, well, maybe we get the positivity rate below a certain thing. Oh, well, maybe actually we're going to lock down until there's a vaccine. Well, actually, you know, even if there is a vaccine, it's not really going to help because you know the vulnerable people it doesn't work for just like with the flu. So. You know, this is a new normal. You're going to do this for the rest of your life. Now, I agree with them. The sooner we realize this, the better. The sooner we realize that this is not about any unique circumstance, that this is all built on a lie, that this is a means of social control, and this is not going away. You can't wish this away. Not that the virus won't go away in a meaningful way, but that the tyranny won't go away. Then we, then we can actually get back to normal. It's time to push a return to normal because there is only one normal. But I want to take this a step further. It's not just a matter of social control. I posited over the last couple of days that we are clearly doing the bidding of China. That perhaps it's not that China so much it thought that they'd infect the world with a virus and the plague that they would unleash on the world is virus, but lockdown and tyranny. Not just because they're very totalitarian and want everyone to be like them, but because they know that when the West does totalitarian, they, they do it bigly, to quote Trump. They do it for real. See, China has this game where they don't destroy their own country when they do it. They know we're going to do it and destroy ourselves and self-immolate. Were they trying to signal not just the virus, but how to deal with it or how not to deal with it to the rest of the world by doing these like show lockdowns. And they weren't shows. They really did lock down their people, but they don't care. So everyone would mimic that, but also mimic other stuff such as the treatment methods with us today. Is a dear friend of mine, a former colleague here at Blaze Media. I wish he would still be here, but he's doing great work as an independent journalist. Jordan Schachtel, you have to go right now. If you are not following him already, follow him on Twitter at Jordan Schachtel, and that's spelled S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-L. The thing about Jordan is I haven't had him on really since March, maybe April. And he was one of the earliest voices to call BS on this. Like, wait a minute. We know from the Diamond Princess, it's not as vulnerable as, as dangerous as we thought it was. There's a certain known vulnerable population. It spreads when it spreads. There's not much we can do. I mean, it's it's truly eerie how right he was. I just would have never thought that nearly seven months later, we would still be in the position we're in today. But here's where we find ourselves, Jordan. Thanks for joining us again.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, look, you were one of the earliest ones when it wasn't popular and there wasn't a lot of information out and people were very scared and you were willing to call BS on it rather than kind of straddle the fence like... Yeah, maybe whatever. you know, no one wanted to look like they didn't care about human lives. And now we see I was just talking for 20 minutes before you came on about all of the human lives lost, the mental health, the still stillbirth, the stillbirths that are increasing in England and probably here too from the insane ways we're doing labor and delivery now. But I want to talk about your latest article and there's so many good ones you could follow him at Jordandanshacktail.substack. Um, is where he has his articles, but also a great newsletter with real quality information. You have an article out today that should be the top news. First choice, how China and the World Health Organization created mass ventilator hysteria. Take it away.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think it's super important when you know we're dealing with this pandemic craziness, to kind of go back to the beginning and revisit how all this happened. So that's kind of my, what I did with, um, this latest article on ventilators because everyone remembers the ventilator craziness. How could you not, you know, you had, uh, Andrew Cuomo saying he needed 40,000 ventilators, uh, Gavin Newsom saying the same thing, all these governors wanting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, of ventilators, um, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi calling for uh, basically a reorienting of our entire economy to building ventilators. And then, of course, you had the president who invoked the Defense Production Act to build ventilators, um, mechanical ventilators, the heavy-duty ventilators. And what I found in kind of tracing back the root of this ventilator hysteria was that it started in Wuhan, China, Um, you know, where the virus first, where the first alleged outbreak was, and this ventilator guidance was based off of um, Chinese Medical Association so-called expertise, which was this consensus um, thing coming from the Chinese Communist Party, and basically they said that because, you know, this was supposedly the plague of the century, they recommended in their medical literature, and I think they came to regret this when, you know, they kind of stopped treating COVID entirely a few, a few weeks later. What they said in their medical literature was that people should be put on mechanical ventilators um, early and often, and that this also has the contributing, um, you know, side impact of shielding healthcare workers from potential aerosol spread because mechanical ventilators are, you know, they aren't, they're not like spewing out potential aerosols because you it's a, you know, a high risk, um, maneuver where you're basically shutting someone's body down and and pumping air through their, through their lungs and having, you know, this machine breathe for them. But the problem of course, as we know, is when you put someone on a mechanical ventilator, you basically have to paralyze them and put them in like this, like semi-coma situation, and it's very dangerous. And the vast majority of people never make it off a ventilator. Um, some statistics say it's high as 88 to 90 percent of COVID-19 patients who are on a ventilator um, never even made it off of one. And this, of course, you know that that, that skewed a little bit because um, a lot of people who you know reach the end of life are you know struggling with respiratory and lung issues. And they're on a ventilator when they die. But it seemed that even when you put, especially when you put healthy people on ventilators, which is what was happening in New York city, in Spain, in Italy, you know, in the, in February, March month, based on the guidance from China and then, you know, put in English by the World health organization that this ventilator use, um, I suspect if there would be an exhaustive um, study on this, you would find unfortunately, that a lot of people were severely injured and killed by ventilators unnecessarily. And what we found out about mechanical ventilator use, notice how it's not, much, not in the news much anymore, is that there are other ways to treat patients, much less invasive, much more productive. And you know, this first type of ventilator hysteria came from the Chinese government, and they still really haven't really said anything about it, um, it's widespread consensus in, this, in the, you know, the pulmonary lung specialist community that mechanical ventilators are not the right solution for especially moderate uh, symptoms of COVID-19, and that this was a giant mistake. And I think that a lot of people don't want to talk about this giant mistake because, unfortunately, it, it reveals the fact that a lot of people may have lost their lives way too early. And that, you know, in this fear-based hysteria, a lot of our doctors and nurses were actually, unfortunately, killing people. And this is, um, you know, based on the guidance that initially came out of Wuhan. And for whatever reason, instead of, you know, relying on common sense and Western medicine, um, they... You know, we're under the impression that this was the plague of the century, and that if you didn't put someone on a ventilator, uh, you know, they were going to drop dead in 20 minutes. So, you know, there was so much misinformation, and the root cause of that misinformation was China.
0: And like everything else, whether it's medical treatment, whether it is community public policies built around the epidemic, we threw out wholesale the entire experiences since human existence and went with everything novel. (laughs) It was a novel virus. We had to have a novel response and it just made no sense. And that's why you see Northern Italy, Spain and New York city. They were all the places that obsessed with ventilators. Um, Now you had a mixture of other things where they just had this crazy policy built around not allowing family visitors not allowing family members to therefore advocate on their behalf there' are stories in New York City about people starving to death did they die of hydration because um, they just like left them there in an ICU and it was all built around the same theme that they panicked that you know the theme of today's show of so many of our shows is that you don't have the luxury in life of saying I don't want to I don't want to bang crash into the left guardrail. So I'm going to go all the way into the right guardrail. I mean, you can't do that. You got to do better than that. You got to be more precise than that. Well, you know, I don't want people to die of COVID. Well, you know, you got to look at an array of threats. And when you totally overstate the degree of threat and therefore, oh my gosh, we have to make sure no one else gets it. So therefore, no one could visit and no one could do this, you're going to kill more people. And now it's obvious. So you say here that. Basically, the World Health Organization literally cited, they said, based on Chinese expert consensus, <laughs> it is recommended that invasive mechanical, mechanical ventilation to be the first choice for moderate or severe ARDS patients. See, that really shocked me, that word moderate. So um, I had an uncle who lived in Long Island, lives in Long Island. And in March, he, he got hit with that, What was going around there. He, thank God, told me that he had enough acumen. I think he, he was taken by EMTs to the hospital to make sure he wasn't taken to a hospital in Queens, but one in Long Island. And they gave him oxygen, I don't know through what, but he was never put in an ICU and he wasn't on, on a ventilator. And he recovered nicely. He was also given HCQ, by the way. Um, that's that's another thing. And that was later on in the process, and it seemed to help. Um, but so so you're telling me? Are you sitting here and telling me that it's not just a matter of people that were really very likely to die, but the ventilator killed them? But you know what? They probably would have died anyway because they had the worst stage of of COVID. You're saying it was people that totally in a clinical way through the procedures we have could have been dealt with and
1: recovered. Yeah, you can, you can take it to the bank. And and the only thing that that's being left out is a study of the people that were put on ventilators. And I think because, you know, these institutions want to protect themselves, we'll probably never see a study like that, but it's very clear what happens when you put someone on a mechan- mechanical ventilator. And I think it could potentially open up these hospitals to malpractice lawsuits because, you know, it brings up this medical ethics idea that I you know, briefly touched upon in the story that a lot of these hospitals administrators were telling people that, you know, based on these WHO recommendations, that you can get this secondary benefit of putting someone on a mechanical ventilator and I didn't even mention this in the story, you get the hospitals get paid more by putting someone on a mechanical ventilator. And then they also claimed that it stops hospital staff from getting COVID. But what it didn't say is that these other less invasive measures, you can use precautions and these hospitals know how to use precautions to stop this top stop, you know, potential transmission from the patient to the physician. So It was, you know, so much of these people being put on ventilators was entirely uncalled for. Um, And what happened with, you know, this WHO guidance, it has this kind of doubling effect. So I was looking through the, you know, the U.S. guidelines from the CDC, from, you know, the Department of Defense, from these other, you know, big time, uh, you know, physicians associations. That have tens of thousands of members and all of them when i'm looking through their march and april literature they're copying what the who said about mechanical ventilating. <laughs> ventilating and then you know the who took their information from the chinese communist party's medical associations so it had this like multiplying effect and then the next thing you know is that in the entire month of march Every, basically every hospital system in the United States is treating COVID patients incorrectly. And I think that's one of the main reasons. A lot of people say, you know, that the reason why, um, and, and I think a lot of this stuff is partially true, you know, that the virus is weakening. And I think that, you know, seems to be a lot of medical science behind that. And then they also say that people are being, they're treating people in a more correct manner. But I think that basically, and you know, I don't I don't mean to like laugh about this because it, it just like sounds so absurd. But I think that they they basically, you know, to put it bluntly, um, they stopped killing patients with with COVID 19 on ventilators, and I think that has a lot. That's the reason why you know a lot of these states aren't seeing these New York City metro area death tolls is because. You know, we've taken a more rational approach to treating patients. And then, you know, doctors realize that this isn't the plague of the century and that people are getting better on their own.
0: So what you're saying is that the Chinese basically knew what they were doing when they put this out. Because let's face it, the Chinese might be evil. They're not dumb. So the Chinese themselves weren't ventilating people to death, right? Weren't they more exporting them and they had all these like, you know, advertisements that they were, oh, we're helping out Italy. Well, meanwhile, they themselves weren't using it, but they were making a killing off of it.
1: Yeah, so so that's like the next part of the story. But I, I do think that in Wuhan, the Chinese government was terrified. And my hypothesis is basically that they used this mechanical ventilation strategy to prevent their own healthcare workers from getting sick because, you know, they were panicked about this initially too, but then they realized that it wasn't the plague of the century. And then they kind of just, you know, shut down the whole operation of, you know, welding people inside their houses. But I, I think initially they were using mechanical ventilation for the purpose of the, the, the reality that they don't they don't really care about their citizens because they're communists and, you know, they have this collective ideology. But in terms of the ventilator sales, this is where it gets very interesting because, you know, the guidance was still the same. But the behavior from China changed dramatically. They, they pretty much declared the virus to be gone from you know, a country of one and a half billion people, which is now we know, you know, would be an absurd claim to make but they made it anyway. And they said, Oh, by the way, we don't need any of these ventilators. And they started, um, they pretended that they were giving them away, but what they were really doing was signing purchase agreements with all these countries. Um, the top five Chinese ventilator producers have all at least uh, doubled their revenues. The one publicly traded company market cap on um, the Chinese exchange has moved to $60 billion. So there's people getting enormously rich in China. Um, Of course, you know, the government gets kickbacks from that, but there are still factories in China operating 24 seven producing mechanical ventilators, which are, you know, notoriously poor quality. And they, they, they're keeping this kind of like Chinese medical advice BS stuff on ventilators alive because I think it's, enriching, it's enriching the country. And it's, you know, it's so sick that they're doing this when they very well know that these, these medical devices are, are not helpful unless, you know, an extreme situation where someone basically, um, you know, has very little chance of survival without one, but they're building these machines and they're making enormous, uh, you know, it's become a huge industry in China and unfortunately, you know, even a lot of our allies are still buying these devices and early on, uh, our, you know, Andrew, Andrew Cuomo was buying, uh, uh, ventilators in China by the thousands, um, and had like New York city officials out there. Um, we had private individuals, um, buying ventilators from China. We had healthcare systems buying ventilators from China. And I'm sure there's still a lot of um, you know, people and states and organizations in the United States buying mechanical ventilators from China. And it's a huge industry there. And it just continues to to make a fortune for them. So why should they, you know, own up about the, the ventilator problem when it's become a booming industry for them?
0: You know, I'm I'm getting goosebumps as I recall. Governor DeSantis from Florida talk about when when it started spreading in Florida. And he talked about the hospitalizations and the point he kept making was that, you know, some of them were down very subclinical, but people were scared they'd come in anyway. Maybe some of them did require hospitalization, but they weren't, I mean, it wasn't anything we couldn't handle with with the care we have today. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't in critical condition. And I started to wonder, you know, you go back to New York and we all assumed it was so much worse than elsewhere. And and maybe there is an element based on certain factors that we're going to be debating and studying over the years that, that it was uh, initially that, you know, a greater pool of people got a more moderate to severe case. But even then, you know, we do have pretty good healthcare in this day and age and it's not like they don't deal with art. So I don't think necessarily they took anyone with 101 fever who went in and in the panic just put them on a ventilator. God knows, maybe they did. But let's say they had some ARDS. They had some degree of pneumonia. But I mean, look, pneumonia could be dangerous. People do die from it. But plenty of healthy people even do get it to some extent at some point. Um, and whatever, it's very treatable. So that's just what scares me, how much of what we subsequently saw in the rest of the country with a much lower death rate was really occurring all along initially in New York and those people were just baked. I mean, they were just killed. I mean, I guess like you said there's no way we're going to know that. Um, but that is really creepy.
1: Yeah, when you when you put someone when you put someone on a mechanical ventilator and I, and I talked to a lot of experts um, so I could become familiar with this because, you know, as you know, I'm mostly like, a uh, you know, foreign policy, national security guy. So this is a new topic to me. So I wanted to get a baseline level of understanding and really understand, you know, how ventilators work, why they're used, when they're used, you know, what is the proper scientific protocol for them. And what happens when you're putting on, put on a ventilator is that you take away someone's, um, you know, immune system and their body's ability to fight off the virus because you know you're just basically pumping air through their system and shutting down their body. So the the chance that these people had to recover from COVID naturally goes completely out the window when you make this decision to put them on a ventilator and there's no turning back. And it causes, in a lot of people who survived the ventilator, it causes long-term debilitating injuries that they may never recover from. So to make this decision too fast was such a brutal mistake that so many, I think healthcare providers made. And it was of course, based on this poor guidance.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that's definitely, I've heard before. I know Dr. Atlas told me before he became uh Trump's advisor on this, I once asked him about this and he said, the biggest thing is infections. You know, like you said, it destroys the immune system. The, They often wind up dying of infections, sundry infections, not just the uh, COVID-19 in this case, but, um, all sorts of other things that could kill them, which is kind of emblematic of what they're doing to the whole country. Bubble boy, turning healthy people into sick people, um, destroying our immune systems. Really, if you think about it, the entire approach to COVID for the country is one big ventilator. In other words, it's like Afghanistan. You can only get in, you can't get off. There's no exit strategy. You you go and ventilate an entire country. You make them panicked and dependent upon a scenario where they literally cannot live live with any degree of even cases and low level hospitalizations of of a respiratory virus. So it's now the point where it's almost like we're ventilated. We can no longer live normally with the same risk threat and assessment that we've done for years. Um, and it's funny, I just thought of that now. it's really very emblematic of all their policies. My question to you is, what else could we trust now? I mean, this is very scary. We know they're lying about masks. We know that the literature on almost any scientific issue before it became political was different. So the literature on masks was different. The literature on HCQ was different, right? The NIH's own in-house study found it was effective against SARS-1. What else could we trust? I mean, we basically have to question every last assumption, whether it's medical, whether it's public policy, whether it has to do with the restrictions and the interventions. I mean, if they're literally drinking out of the most polluted academic troughs. You got WHO, which is just a tool of China. So, like, have you found a connection with the mask stuff? I mean, we know China's producing all that stuff with uh, slave labor, by the way. Um, I mean, is, is China kind of behind some of the, some of these other issues as well?
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I also did the, the background work on lockdown and masks. And as, 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 mo- as I think a lot of people who've studied this issue know that the, the original lockdown was in China. And at the time I, I've written about this at my Substack as well at the time when the lockdown was being initiated in China in as far back as january even the who um you know u.s officials were unanimous in responding to it in this way they all said that this is a new approach to science and that they did not think that it would work or or that they thought that you know there would be too many secondary side effects and somehow you know all this stuff was memory holds and and you asked about masks the first world leader to wear a mask, you know, one of those surgical uh, ear loop masks was uh, Xi Jinping, <laughs> the, 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 the chair of the Communist Party of China, the president of China. Uh, he was the first person to tell people to wear a mask. And it's funny that, you know, now looking back on that, it, it, and at the same time when, when, when President Xi was telling people to wear a mask, Fauci was going on TV saying that it was basically, you know, something to make people feel more comfortable, which is what I think the Chinese president was doing initially when he was wearing this mask was basically saying, you know, it was like communist propaganda saying, I'm one of you, you know, I'm going to get through this with you, but he wasn't actually concerned about, you know, wearing, wearing a mask and it was, it was totally symbolic. And our, People knew that at the time. And all of a sudden now, a ma- the mask has become, you know, according to the CDC director, that a complete buffoon, that, that it's become a vaccine I- in itself. And there's all these ridiculous articles coming out about that now, masks now, about how they have this power to, um, you know, lessen the, the symptoms from COVID-19 and all this nonsense, this, this fake science you're seeing. But yes, 100%, the mask thing and the lockdowns came from China. And what we're doing in the West is we're basically implementing variations of Chinese Communist Party policies. And I, ho- I hope that more people, you know, particularly people who uh, despise you know, hard leftism, realize that what we're doing is we're basically just mimicking what they did without making any particular reforms, which is you know, the most troubling part. In that, you know, science is supposed to be, um, you know, it, it's supposed to evolve through experimentation and observation, but we're really just copying what the Chinese did when they, you know, botched the whole Wuhan situation.
0: Yeah, and the funny thing is, um, you know, we called it China virus back in the day, but I don't think we meant it in the way it, it turned out. It's a China virus in terms of a tyranny and mentality, uh, that they infected the entire world with 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 what they're doing. Um, and, and which is why I haven't been so into the China thing for the last number of months because I, I almost don't even blame China. I mean we're doing it to ourselves. At this point, you know, the virus right. might have started there, but but they didn't demand that we do this. We're stupid enough to do all this stuff. We're the, the China is our own government. and speaking of that, you've done some work on colleges. So colleges look like China now. What are you hearing the latest news in terms of a the, the state of play with the virus itself on campus, and what sort of things are going on in terms of
1: student life on these college campuses? So there is no student life on college campuses right now. They are basically, uh, you know, work camps, uh, they're, they're gulags. They, they, they are no college students who are on campus are being subject to ridiculous restrictions by these, these crazy um, administrators and university presidents and leaders. And I guess they're, they're, they're just blaming if there's an outbreak on campus. The academic community is totally convinced that every single human being is responsible for you know, infecting or, or transmitting uh, COVID-19. And this is how they kind of run their operations on campus. And they, you know, use these these bad PCR tests with super high um, thresholds that catch this dead virus. And they test these students religiously. Um, you know, I, I've heard some that get tested every single week. Um, some get, te- you have to get tested if you want to go to class in person. You have to get tested. You know that weekend that clears you for a few days, and you got to get to get tested again. Um, it, it's absurd the testing regimes. Uh, colleges across the United States represent prisons right now. If you're even in, if you it's a supposed contact of someone who's tested positive, positive. Um, and of course it, it goes without saying that basically all of these students are either asymptomatic or they have very very mild. You know, cold like symptoms, um, that these people are, you know, are ruthlessly quarantined. Um, sometimes there's a lot of places that they call COVID dorms, which are specific, which is basically <laughs> solitary confinement. And this applies to anyone who tests positive or has been in contact with an individual who tests positive. And they're put into these, these dorm rooms for two weeks. They cannot leave. They cannot leave this, this little space. Their meals are delivered to them like they're in prison by... by this, is, this is real. You can look this up. <laughs> Their meals are... And this is happening... The guys in hazmat suits in the, suits in the of, trays. Of, 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 yes. <laughs> they're wearing hazmat suits. They leave the meal at the door, packaged whatever, three times a day. And this is a, this is a college student's life for two weeks. It is literally solitary confinement with, I guess they have internet privileges. It is, it is scary what they are doing to these students. And the, the issue is, okay. So people in their early twenties and late teens, you know, we all tend to be pretty rebellious at that age, um, including yours truly. And I I was wondering, you know, like what, what it would be like if, if, you know, if I went back in the past um, a decade and i was subject to these restrictions would i want to rebel against them and then the thing is if you rebel a little against them you face the chance of being expelled from your university and this is like the scary part that you know college is supposed to be especially undergraduate is supposed to be you know a time where you really like come into your own as as a human being and learn to understand you know yourself and think a little deeper about things but there are these these students have been so heavily restricted that they can't really, you know, interact with other people. Um, You know, they can't test any type of boundaries of understanding that they're put in this very ridiculous, um, college in the United States this semester for students um, is basically prison. If you're a parent, you should not um, pay tuition uh, for this semester, next semester, tell your tell your kids to like take a gap year or something, or, or have them take online school. People are families are getting absolutely robbed by these colleges.
0: Yeah, paying for prison. Uh, how about that? You know, unbelievable. Just real quick, there's a lot of good stuff you guys could check out. It as a Substack Jordan Shackle that Substack com. Um, check out his newsletter. Follow him on Twitter. I uh, quoted from you earlier this week as well another great story about the NFL recognizing the case-demic and actually setting the CTs, the cycle thresholds, the degree of amplification of these PCR tests to the level that they think is appropriate. And therefore, they're not being shut down. They're not having the problems. Have you, could you talk a little bit about that? Have you found out any more information of how they're able to get away with this and what's their secret sauce?
1: Yeah, so they have this one lab in New Jersey that's been um, kind of bad for them, but, but the NFL has a pretty good roster of health officials, um, and sometimes they don't listen to them, <laughs> sorry, that uh, understand this PCR testing issue. And what happens if a player or um, you know member of the staff has positive on these lab tests, the NFL does two additional tests, Uh, you know, these more molecular level uh, tests that are more accurate to make sure that they're not false positives. And back in August, they found that there were, you know, 77 players among 11 teams that supposedly tested positive. And then, you know, they, they did point of care testing and it turned out that all of them were false positives. So the NFL has a system in place that is Pretty much going because we know so you know that the so much about this case demic issue. The NFL understands the case demic issue. I think they saw it happening with Major League Baseball, and and if you watch baseball, you you've come. My, I suspect that um, baseball has caught on to this issue as well because they haven't seen many positives at all, and you know they're in the middle of the playoffs, and it's you know big money if if it, if a player or team misses a game. Uh, but I think they very much understand that you know, the the PCR issue is, is huge. They want to, and they have, you know, as a private corporation that wants to keep its players healthy and on the field, they're incentivized correctly to only find uh, cases that are real, you know, to minimize these false positives. And then also, you know, to have the, this, this rapid deployment of cases so they can isolate people um, in order to prevent them from, you know, infecting the entire team. So, so, they've done, I think, a pretty good job of, you know, having this system in place that I think a lot of people can learn from. Even though, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely opposed to asymptomatic testing and all that stuff, but I think that, you know, for for systems that want to keep things going, they can learn a lot from the NFL system, which which verifies the tests. Wow,
0: wow, that 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 is a big thing because imagine what our communities I I, I see here with the schools and the colleges, everything going on there. And I always wonder, man, imagine if we set the CT level the way the NFL wants to do it, what would we be seeing? And that's that's very interesting. Or conversely, imagine if we would have had this degree of amplification of any other pathogen in the past, uh, what would have happened to our society? But again, that's part of putting us on this ventilator, this uh, real me- metaphorical ventilator where we are now all reliant on an insane system of fear and panic and testing, and we're just beholden to it, and we, we don't have a path out. Um, I want to share with you a thought that I had just as a, to close the show out that I thought is apropos because you're, you're big into foreign policy. You follow Israel a lot, I know. And I look at Israel, and... A thought just crossed my mind. We, we were talking earlier about the mask business and how they had the long, long, almost the longest uh, mask mandate of any country. And it did nothing, of course, because it's a joke. But I was thinking, you know, imagine if I tell you as CNN is saying, this is a new normal, there's terrorism. You can never go to a restaurant. You can never, um, you know, go on a bus anymore. So, I mean, we all remember those of us who followed Israeli affairs uh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. There was a period of time where if you're in Israel, and, and, and this is not a big country. This is a small country. So, you know, it, it, it's like living in, I don't know, I'm in Baltimore. It's like, hey, this stuff is going on in Frederick, in York, Pennsylvania. You know, right up the highway, uh, even closer, a bus blew up. Boom, 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 you sometimes hear it. you live close enough. A restaurant blows up, people just going to get lunch, you know, twenty people dead, done um horrible deaths, you know, they had shrapnel and everything, and you would think that I mean, if there is anything that strikes fear in the heart of people, it'd be something like that, just ubiquitous, random terror acts that could come that that is the quintessential definition of terrorism, but the people of Israel. And and people looked at them shockingly. That you know they went on with their lives. You had a lot of Americans who would go there to study, and they wouldn't want to take buses. They were scared, but Israelis always would. You know they wouldn't care. Um, that was kind of a way of life. How the hell do you take the psyche of people like that and get them scared of a respiratory virus like this?
1: Yeah, I think it's you know again just this novel virus hype that people you know it's this collective mentality. Um, where it removes you know, your individual responsibility and it puts it on, on you and your, your neighbors and your, you know, your, your partners and friends to keep each other safe. And you know, this is a totally nonsensical narrative, but I think that they've bought into this and that they think that if they step outside, and, and it's the, the same thing you know, throughout the world, that if they step outside without a mask on, you know, the the, uh, the Holocaust survivor living down the street is going to drop dead in three days. So it's kind of like this collective guilt of responsibility that's keeping people obedient. Um, and the, the problem is, you know, when you remove the responsibility for health from the individual to the government, I think you really nailed it with that, um, you know, the ventilator metaphor that we're just <laughs> letting the, the government... Um, you know, control our personal health and, and you know, put, just putting us into this machine that is, you know, these public health agencies that are telling us what we can do, what we can't do and totally removing, you know, the element of individual responsibility that was so successful in places like Sweden and elsewhere um, and, and just totally making people beholden to the government and it, 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 yeah, you know, I, I hope that people will start to wake up and turn the corner. I think in a lot of um, you know areas where people are more individualistic, uh, where people vote, you know, for conservatives. <laughs> uh, not in my area. People have, in my area, everyone is wearing a mask. Even if you're, you know, two years old, they have the masks strapped on these kids in the in the D.C. metro area. And it's very sad that you have this kind of like this herd mentality, and you're right. everyone's being put on this you know metaphorical ventilator. The government's going to take care of you. Don't worry about you know your your own personal affairs. The government's going to figure it out for you. And this is the mentality.
0: And that is very scary. Do you want to trust the people that said ventilators should be the first choice? Do you want to trust the people that believe? A mask is better than a vaccines. These people are utterly insane. Jordan, terrific work. Uh, tried to catch up on months worth of stuff in one show, but we'll have you back soon. Keep up the great work. Follow him at Jordan Shackdale. And for us, we are way out of time. Send me your comments and questions for Jordan that I could pass on. Deharwitz at blazemedia.com is the email. At Conservative is the Twitter. And Minimum Speakeasy is our Facebook fan page. Till tomorrow, stay safe and stay free.